Six days after the Vindicator made its 150th anniversary front page news, the announcement came today. The newspaper will close. The final edition will be printed on Saturday, August 31st, and the website will be shut down. Readers could see it coming. The paper was noticeably smaller, and most importantly, there were fewer... Healthcare journalism is a rarely discussed but really important aspect of healthcare. Local beat reporters follow hospitals and insurance companies and have relationships with local residents who know what's going on. Investigative journalists pour over exorbitant emergency department bills and sound the alarm on health risks, ethical lapses, and even crimes. They tell us the bad about homelessness and problems in our water supply or air quality, but they also let us know when good things are happening. In this age when local newspapers are shedding staff, being pressured in concerning ways by corporate offices located far from where the action is, and some, as in the case of the Youngstown Vindicator, are even closing, a question confronts us. Without local healthcare beat reporters, who's going to watch the multi-billion dollar healthcare industry? And who's going to shine a light on the health situation in our communities? This is Prognosis Ohio, WCV's healthcare podcast. I'm your host, Dan Skinner. Like our last episode, this one's a two-parter. First, we talk with journalist Jessica Hardin, formerly of the Youngstown Vindicator, but now working for a new journalism venture in the Mahoning Valley. We discuss a piece Hardin wrote for The Vindicator just before it shut its doors in September about a pretty disturbing situation with ambulance dispatches. You're going to want to hear what Hardin says and read the article for yourself, and we'll link to it in the show notes. Second, we talk with Danny Carlson of the Center for Community Solutions, the organization that provided Hardin as well as a group of other fantastic healthcare journalists with financial support so they could dive a bit deeper into some important investigative work in healthcare. We talk about the grants themselves and the state of healthcare journalism more generally. Before we turn to our guests, though, just a reminder to please leave a positive review of the show and be in touch with us if you have ideas for themes or guests. We welcome hearing from you on Twitter at, at prognosisohio or by email at prognosisohio at gmail.com. Reporting since 2018, Jessica Hardin was a reporter for the Youngstown Vindicator and is now a reporter for Mahoning Matters, a fledgling project launched as part of the Compass Experiment, a new collaborative venture of McClatchy and Google that began reporting on October 9th. Before embarking on a career in journalism, Hardin graduated from Georgetown University, worked as a Fulbright English teaching assistant in a small Georgian town near the borders of Turkey and Armenia, and also worked as an assistant in the U.S. Office of the Special Counsel. Jess and I talked about some of her recent reporting, but also the state of healthcare journalism in Ohio generally. Okay, now to my conversation with Jess Harden. Jess Harden, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. Thanks for having me. I reached out to you originally just after reading this piece uh, that you wrote about ambulance services uh, in the Mahoning Valley, and it was a fantastic piece, and I wanted to just talk with you about it. But then I realized quickly that there was a lot more to the story, that there were a few other dimensions that I thought listeners would really benefit from hearing about. The title is Mahoning Valley's Ambulance Service is in Crisis, a report funded by Community Solutions Health and Human Services Journalism Grant, which is a grant that Jess received from the Center for Community Solutions. Jess, can you just tell us a little bit about how this story came about? Absolutely. So I was doing a you know, a, a pretty routine story on a proposed levy in the election cycle of 2018. And I spoke with a local fire chief who was putting an ambulance levy on the ballot um, in one of the communities that I covered at the Vindicator. 
Um, and he explained the backstory of this loving. He said, uh, two folks in our community uh, suffered from heart attacks last spring, and both of them waited about 30 minutes for an ambulance to arrive. Um, and so I was really curious about that situation and um, wondered if it was more widespread and decided to look into uh, ambulance service in the Mahoning Valley. And that was kind of my intro into the topic. And the most visible sign of this problem that the Mahoning Valley is experiencing is uh, through delayed care and through these delayed arrivals of ambulances. So in doing a little digging, I learned that ambulance service in the Valley is basically this pretty uncoordinated patchwork of providers. And some of them are private and some of them are publicly run um, ambulance services. So some communities run their own ambulances and some communities contract with private providers in order to uh, serve the community. And, you know, some of the language you use in this piece is just stunning to me when I was rereading it. Oh, thank you. You, know, you quote the chairman of the Health Professions Department at Youngstown State, who says, we have no system in the Mahoning Valley. Right. An uncoordinated patchwork of private companies. <laughs> <laughs> and that's basically, um, you know, the problem in a nutshell is that a system doesn't exist. And he gave me this perfect example. Um, this is a Professor Mistovich at Youngstown State. He said to me, if someone is uh, having a health crisis outside my office here at YSU, and there is an ambulance, a lane ambulance over at the Taco Bell, um, and then an AMR ambulance that's 30 minutes away, it's going to be the AMR ambulance that comes to respond to the incident. Um, and that's because Youngstown contracts with the company AMR and that example just really illustrates that there's really no communication between these private companies and oftentimes communities that are calling for an ambulance, such as the Youngstown Fire Department or the Boardman Fire Department. They'll be getting you know, not enough information that they need in order to coordinate an effective response. No communication, but you're talking about a logistical question that is all about communication, right? right? That's the exactly. whole way this works, right? It's an issue on a, you know, on a logistical level, but it's also an issue because this community is experiencing a higher volume of ambulance calls than it has in the past, given the opioid ep epidemic, given the aging population, and also the fact that there's a lot of endemic poverty here in Youngstown and, you know, a lot of folks don't have transportation. And so they'll call an ambulance where maybe an ambulance isn't needed. So the call volume is so high. And at the same time, um, resources are very limited because Medicare and Medicaid reimbursements for ambulances have been stagnant for, I think, about 10 years. Um, yeah. And companies and communities are just losing money when they run ambulance calls. As somebody who works with a lot of physicians and trains medical students here in Central Ohio, uh, I was really interested in one part of the story, which is that you, you, you mentioned that you contacted some physicians and they wouldn't comment for the story. And I wondered if there's anything more to say about that. Not everybody wants to be out in the media mm -hmm. talking about things. And there are always costs for healthcare professionals uh, raising their voice on issues. And as a result, some of them uh, have just kind of decided that they're not going to. But then you got to the piece about Medicare and Medicaid reimbursement, which is something that I've never met a physician who doesn't want to tell you what they think about that particular issue. They they don't like the rates and um, Medicaid pays a lot less than Medicare. And it's part of the story that comes out is that a lot of these organizations that a lot of these ambulance companies are operating at a loss for your average 
pickup or you know transport. So I just wondered if you had anything to add to that piece about just kind of talking with people and their willingness to talk about this, because it's such a critical issue. If people can't get to the hospital on time, then there's nothing physicians at the hospital can do. It's too late. That's a great point. And I, I struggled with that, especially uh, when I was speaking with firefighters as well, because there's definitely a job security aspect that people are concerned with when they speak on the record about these kinds of issues. And I think that that's generally where a lot of folks come from. But when I spoke to the paramedic that's featured in the story, Leslie Murphy, she basically said to me, you know, I only have a few years left and here's what I have to say. And I'm, yeah. I don't have much to lose. Um, in the case of the physicians, I think folks must have been concerned about speaking on behalf of, of, of where they work and that coming off as, you know, some sort of political statement. And I think that's definitely a challenge when folks are attached to a larger corporation. Yeah, a lot of the hospital systems now, I mean, they, they do keep tight control yes. and you need authorization to talk with journalists. And But at the end of the day, you're talking about an issue that is really central to just the ability to deliver care and save lives, mm -hmm. which is something we need physician voices for as well. Right, exactly. And I think it's sometimes a challenge to get folks to speak up, even if it seems like a pretty apolitical issue. But I think that that also speaks to the fact that the community that I'm in is is pretty tribalistic. And, um, and there are definitely concerns about balances of power and upsetting those balances. Um, you know, in, in the story, I talk about how Youngstown Fire Chief Barry Finley answered to city council about these delays in care. And he basically said, you know, I can't do much about this because I can't drive them away. And yeah. if we upset them, then we're totally screwed. And so there's definitely that element as well that they need this system, even though it's broken. Um, and there's really not another option at this time. One of the things that occurred to me um, as we were talking about resources and, and, and actually sources for journalism in, in the healthcare space is that this is one area where you really do need local journalists to be at this for a while, developing relationships, because you need to develop trust amongst these different kinds of community partners and people in the area who know that you are just trying to report what's going on um, in the classic sense of why we have healthcare journalism and journalism in general, which is about fixing our society and letting people know what's going on. But here you end with, it's just a matter of time before the area's ambulance system collapses. And you're saying that's what the officials kind of agree. That's this consensus that you seem to get from them. That's a, um, that's a really scary thing. And I just, I guess I wonder for you as a journalist, you know, when you encounter a story like that about a, a system that seems intractably uh, destined to fail in, in its current current state, what kind of reporting could you do to follow up on something like that? I mean, wh wh where, where does this go? That's a great question. Um, I think that I definitely do struggle with the, the bleakness of the prospects, um, especially as someone who wants to um, take a solutions-driven approach to this kind of reporting. I think that based on the response that I've gotten, I've spoken to a paramedic who works for one of the local um, ambulance companies. I'd really like to perhaps tell it from other points of view as well and include the point of view of, of paramedics 
working in this field because that is part of the story that I wasn't able to explore as much as I would like to. The experience of of being a paramedic uh, in this town, people are making between twelve and fifteen dollars an hour and just working incredibly grueling shifts. I believe it was uh, Professor Mistovich. He said that, um, you know, people see things on an ambulance shift or on an EMT shift that a lot of folks don't see in a lifetime in terms of trauma. And yeah. and I think that that is a, a, also a very interesting avenue of this issue is we have a shortage of paramedics and the experience of being a paramedic is is extremely challenging. And so that's a that's a whole nother layer and that's being experienced nationwide even in cities that do have a paramedic system and an EMT system and i think that getting that perspective of you know boots on the ground folks dealing with this system would also kind of hammer home the the issues that the valley is experiencing with regard to ambulances One of the stories that's emerging uh, in national healthcare journalism and just discourse is how bad the pay is in so many sectors mm-hmm. of our healthcare system. Home healthcare workers have gotten a lot of attention on this recently, and home healthcare workers are generally making minimum wage or just above it um, under really horrible conditions, oftentimes where you know threats of physical violence and and other different kinds of things like that. And the picture you paint here of this. Uh, world of ambulance services, I'm guessing is a similar kind of world. These are not high paid people. These are people who um, have extremely stressful jobs. And then, you know, you layer on this, the, just the frustration. I had to call 911 recently for a neighbor and it took quite a while here in the Columbus mm-hmm. area. And I felt angry at them and they were just doing their job, and, you know, within a system. Yeah. And I think that's a, that's a dynamic. It's hard Absolutely. to negotiate. Absolutely. And that's also, um, an interesting aspect as well, because I, the paramedic I spoke with, Leslie Murphy, she discussed, you know, running ambulance calls as a firefighter because she's a trained paramedic. And in certain situations, you know, the Youngstown Fire Department would dispatch um, some of their folks to do initial response when they knew that an ambulance wasn't near. And folks take it out on, on, uh, on those people. And the same thing happened um, with the situation that I describe in Boardman, where, you know, firefighters respond to these calls and wait for ambulances and have to communicate to folks experiencing something very traumatic that they they said it's coming. We don't know how long it's going to be. And that's just not something that anyone wants to hear. And so, you know, that whole other element of um, being the face of the broken system, even though they're really not responsible for any of it, uh, definitely adds a whole nother layer of, of pressure to, to those particular jobs. So this fantastic bit of reporting that we're, we've just been talking about was the result of a, a, a grant that you received. It's a Health and Human Services Journalism Grant from the Center for Community Solutions. I, I believe it's the, the inaugural year of the grant aiming to fund uh, health and human services reporting in the Ohio area. There's a pretty amazing group of uh, women journalists who received it. And I count myself very lucky to be among them. And they are doing some reporting on just a number of different things from lead poisoning to uh, hospital systems, 
there's a lot of different ways that the grant's being used. For me, the grant enabled me to um, spend additional time working on this particular piece that required um, a lot of time outside of uh, my sort of hourly allotment at the Vindicator um, and enabled me to travel and get photography and things like that. So it was extremely helpful. And I also, I wanted to tell this particular story before the Vindicator closed. And so there were a lot of hours put into it and, and they definitely enabled me to do that while uh, continuing to do my regular reporting for the paper. But there was a bit more drama to it. I yes. understand. Now you received this grant or notification that you'd received this grant after being at the Vindicator for yes. almost a year. Yes. That, right. And you received it on a Monday. I received Monday, it on a Monday and, on... and that was a pretty fateful week because on Friday we learned that the paper would be closing after 150 years of publication. And so just receiving those two pieces of news in the same week was really jarring and, and I think a, a perfect depiction of where the industry is right now, um, that we have these really important stories that need to be told and, and diminishing resources to be able to tell them. That was definitely uh, surprising and, and jarring. And we have about a year to complete the stories for the grant. And when I had first received it, I thought, oh, I have so much time. I'll, I'll be able to maybe spend more time doing this. But when I learned the Vindicator was closing, I, I wanted to be able to have it printed in the Vindicator. So definitely buckled down and finished that reporting in the following two months. With this behind us and with the Vindicator closed um, in its formal sense, what are you doing? What's the project you're up to? Where does it go for you? Um, so I have decided to stay here. A lot of um, some different organizations have invested in the Youngstown area when they learned about the Vindicator closing and specifically Google and McClatchy, which owns a bunch of newspapers, um, decided to make the first newsroom of their Compass Experiment a digital site in Youngstown. So I'm working with them at the moment and really excited to uh, get ready for the launch of that particular site. And hopefully I'll be able to continue covering a lot of the things that I spent the last year covering at the Vindicator. Was that just a fluke that that happened at the same time or had that been in the plans so, for a while? Um, I'm not exactly sure when the Compass Experiment was announced, but the person who runs the Compass Experiment, Mandy Jenkins, she is from Ohio and went to Kent and advocated hard for Youngstown to be included in the experiment after learning about the Vindicator closing. So um, it was definitely part of the closing story that it was chosen, but I'm, I'm very excited to, to be able to, to work with them and, and continue telling those stories. And also grateful that other folks and organizations have decided to invest in Youngstown in the aftermath of the Vindicator closing, in addition to um, a lot of other local outlets working to ramp up coverage in order to, to fill the gaps left by the Vindicator. Well, I'm sure that I speak for a, a lot of Ohioans when I say that I'm really glad that you've decided to stay in the Thank area. Thank you. <laughs> that these kinds of projects are going to you know continue in, in a different form to cover some of these issues. And as the, the piece you know that you published on the ambulance service shows, you have a, uh, a skill at this, but also you have, I think, even more importantly, 
a passion for doing this kind of work. Writing about ambulance services is not sexy <laughs> journalism, right? This is not, you know, this is not covering a, a sports team or something. And, and I think that that's really important that we need people to do the hard work, but you really make it interesting. You. you make it dramatic. It's a little it, depressing it, it because is. things need, need to be fixed. But um, thanks for writing this great piece and um, just wish you luck with your uh, your career as it develops. And I'm looking forward to having you on to talk about more issues moving forward. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And I appreciate you giving me the chance to talk about it. Thanks, Jess. I hope you enjoyed learning about Jess Harden's important work. And I hope you'll take the time to go read the article we discussed, which is posted in today's show notes. Next, we turn to Danny Carlson, Director of Communications and Digital Strategy at the Center for Community Solutions. I wanted to talk with Carlson about the Health and Human Services Journalism Grants Program that the Center's established. Thus far, in addition to Jess Harden, the Center's awarded grants to Betty Lynn Fisher of the Akron Beacon Journal, Hannah Leibovitz of the Cleveland Scene Magazine, and Rachel DeSell and Ginger Christ of The Plain Dealer. Listeners will recall that we spoke a while back with Ginger about housing and homelessness in Northeast Ohio. These are all fantastic journalists, and I hope you'll keep an eye on the work that they're going to be doing through this grant program. Okay, now to my conversation with Danny Carlson. Thanks, Danny, for joining me on the podcast. Yeah, happy to be here. So we just finished up with Jess Harden talking about this fantastic journalism she carried out in the Mahoning Valley um, and some of the background around the uh, Health and Human Services grants from the Center for Community Solutions. I wonder if you could tell me how this grant came about and you know what some of the internal conversations were that led you to want to do this project. But also, I'm curious a little bit about why healthcare specifically? Well, there were um, sort of a bunch of different things. So first of all, uh, how we decided to move forward with this grant. Um, my background is in journalism. I was a reporter for 12 years before joining the Center for Community Solutions. Uh, and John Corlett, who's the president and executive director here at Community Solutions, had thought about, you know, he's definitely saw how journalism has trended, what has been happening in local newsrooms. And so even before I got here, you know, this is something that he had thought about, you know, is there anything community solutions can do? Um, and then I got here and I obviously am uh, very passionate about news and about local news and about, you know, journalists covering those important stories. And so we talked about it and tried to say, you know, hey, is this something that, that we could do? Could we fund some of this important reporting? And when talking about important reporting, I mean, anyone who's been paying attention to the news industry, the news landscape for the past you know, really since the Great Recession, you've definitely seen newsrooms shrink. You've seen there's less local reporting. There's a lot of regionalization and nationalization um, for a variety of different reasons. And reporters, uh, journalists overall, are, are expected to do, you know, more with less or cover more things and maybe don't have time to dig into those stories that are a little bit more complicated that they might want to cover, but just don't have the time, don't have the resources. Yeah. So that was basically what came out of this grant is we thought, hey, what are, you know, what are some things that Community Solutions cares about? And we obviously care about health and human services in Ohio, um, improving health, social, economic conditions in Ohio. And I feel like anything health and human services related is it's going to take a little bit of extra time. Um, and so that was kind of what we were hoping this grant would do is sort of provide some funding for journalists so they could maybe 
you know, take that extra time to do that extra piece of investigation or maybe hire a freelance photographer or, you know, kind of bridge the gap of resources so important reporting can get done. Well, obviously we wanted to have a grant that is in line with what Community Solutions believes in. The reason that we did it is because, hey, we noticed that, you know, there is this gap, there is this void, and we might be able to, you know, be a leader on this in terms of being a nonprofit and, yeah. you know, funding this this type of important reporting. What can we do to try to help fill it? So the first five award winners for this grant, in a way, it's interesting. Uh, first of all, they're all women, which I thought yeah. was interesting. Some of them are pretty well-established journalists like Rachel Desell and Ginger Christ at The Plain Dealer. Ginger has been on this podcast before, in fact. And then others are kind of up and coming in some ways. And it's this interesting mixture of, of, of folks that you brought into this program. I wonder if you could tell me a little bit about just um, the process of, you know, the, the relationship or how you telegraph to them the, I mean, I know the, the Center for Community Solutions is being very careful to, to note that they're staying out of the editorial part of all of this, but clearly there is a kind of scope to what is expected in terms of the investigative work. Is there not? Yeah. I mean, this is definitely, I mean, first of all, the length of the grant is a year. You don't get that luxury very much. Uh, and investigative reporting really does require that you have some extra time. Absolutely. And that was something that was really important to sort of be realistic about that too, because, you know, it's not just the funding, uh, as a lot of reporters will tell you, but sometimes it is just the time. You know, if you yeah. want to in investigate and dig into something, uh, you have to frankly, allow for time to get records back that you might be searching for or get test results analyzed, you know, so so those type of things um, do take time. But we also made it clear to people as they were applying um, that, you know, we are kind of hoping for a substantive piece. And we did give um, a couple of different examples of over a variety of different media platforms, um, newspaper, magazine, um, some television pieces, some radio pieces, just so people would have a general idea before they applied, hey, this is the type of thing that we're looking for that we hope to come out of um, this grant process. Um, and then in terms of, you know, applying for the grant, I mean, I'm sure that it probably helped that, you know, I am a former journalist and I did work in the Cleveland market, at least. I, I think that that probably made at least some people feel a little bit more comfortable with, hey, this, we're going to be completely hands off in the editorial process. Um, you know, even the description of the grant itself was purposely broad in terms of, you know, we want you to cover health and human services in Ohio. You know, Community Solutions is, as I mentioned before, it's been around for more than 100 years. We're nonpartisan, we're nonprofit. And so we're really trying to play that role, again, like I said, of bridging the gap. Um, but we're not telling people by design, this is what we want you to cover. You know, we'll give you money if you do X number of stories on X topic. Um, because, you know, that really doesn't fit into what our goal is and also sort of like what our strategic priorities are. You know, we're not trying to, to tell journalists, this is what you should cover. We're just trying to say, hey, we see this void. We're sure that there's important things that aren't being covered that could really help everyone in Ohio if important stories got out. So we want to try to help that, but we also don't want to 
tell you, you have to cover X, Y, or Z because, you know, community solutions at the end of the day, isn't a journalism organization. Um, So this is kind of our, you know, inaugural experiment. Um, And so far Jess's piece has been great. And, you know, we're looking forward to the, to the other pieces and, you know, hopefully this will be a huge success and every nonprofit will want to follow our lead and do the exact (laughs) same thing. Well, Ohioans would certainly be the beneficiary if we could establish a trend like that. We will be uh, linking in the show notes to um, some more information about the grant and the five recipients of these awards. And as listeners know, I love the Center for Community Solutions. I love the work you all do. Yeah. I mean, it's something to celebrate. Not every state has a a Center for Community Solutions, and we are the beneficiaries of that. So don't go anywhere. Although 108 years, I'm guessing you're not um, going to pick up and run any day soon. I mean, fingers crossed. I don't think so, but. <laughs> well, thanks so much for taking some time to talk about the program and uh, look forward to talking in, in the future. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I hope you enjoyed learning more about Jess Harden's work in the Center for Community Solutions Important Grants Program. At the same time, even as we're spotlighting these important and creative examples of community-oriented healthcare reporting, if you can, please subscribe to your local newspapers whether it's the Columbus Dispatch here in Central Ohio or one of the outlets being supplemented through the Community Solutions Grants. To fix up our ailing healthcare system here in Ohio and to improve community health generally, we need local healthcare reporting. That means subscribing to local newspapers and reading websites like Mahoning Matters, where Jess Harden's now reporting, to help them to do their work. That's just the way healthcare journalism works in 2019. In the show notes posted at wcbe.org, you can learn more about Jess's work and you can read the article we discussed. You can also learn more about the Center for Community Solutions, as well as their Health and Human Services Journalism Grants. Prognosis Ohio is hosted by Dan Skinner and produced by Dan Skinner and Mark Franz. You can subscribe to Prognosis Ohio through WCBE's webpage, where you can also find the show notes for this episode. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and really, wherever you get your podcasts. As I mentioned before, we'd love it if you'd leave a positive review so we can continue to grow the show. And you can also follow us on Twitter at at prognosisohio and email us your suggestions and feedback at prognosisohio at gmail.com. Finally, as we continue to grow the show, adding more listeners with every episode and making it a solid foundation for ongoing conversations about important issues in health and healthcare here in Ohio, we're looking for some financial support. If you're interested in underwriting the podcast, please be in touch. I assure you we're worth it. Okay, until next time.